0: The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message, they'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the Listener inquiry. Button. Good morning, gentlemen. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: Yes, happy good. Thanksgiving, Scott. Good morning, Scott. So,
1: as I see you all in your little box there, I'm just going to pass the cranberries over here and uh, we can sort of have our own little virtual dinner here.
3: Okay. Virtual dinners don't taste as good as the real thing, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: But the good thing is, you can mute a relative at any time.
3: <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> There's always a positive spin on this. That's right. You have to look. Disconnected. I'm not sure why.
1: That's right. (laughs) Oh no, that dang internet.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, you know, as Don just reminded me that Thanksgiving and the virtual connections that we're all going to have this weekend. Is a great time to talk about estate planning with all of your relatives. In oh, one great. You know what? Got them as a captive audience.
1: Andy, you have a very valid point because what better to have an in-person discussion on something like this than to do it over a Zoom call where they're not across the table and can hit you with a bun? <laughs> right.
3: This may this may not take place at Christmas. Take advantage of it right now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. It you may don't be
2: don't back to normal great. by then.
3: Uncle. I <laughs> uh to upset with
2: your with your probate tax discussion. <laughs> Those darn taxes. So anyway, we we
1: uh <laughs> you want to we want to get back to estate planning here.
2: I know. Okay, we 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 talked last week I I spoke uh, for quite a bit about various ins and outs of the state planning strategies and the process that we go through. And I want to come full circle back to it again, but talking about probate fees. And this is something that um, is near and dear to so many people's hearts. And it's certainly a question that Don and I get asked a lot when it comes to people's financial plan and their estate plan. is how do I save those probate taxes? And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give kudos to uh, one of our excellent um, head office personnel, Christine Van Kallenberg, who is an estate and trust practitioner and a a lawyer as well, who coined the phrase the small tax and the big tax. And what I just want to remind people of, we call it the small tax and the big tax, and I'm going to run through a scenario in a second, but probate fees, which gets a lot of publicity, is in essence probably the smallest amount of tax that your estate will pay in most cases. And the big tax is the income tax that's owed on all of your final income in the year of death. And it varies right across the country. We're lucky in Ontario because we've got one of the highest rates of probate tax. <laughs> uh, if you die in the Yukon, it's a flat $140. bucks. you are in, you're out. <laughs> or you're out, you're in. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> and um, Quebec is zero. So, you know, it, it, and in Ontario, uh, as a reminder to listeners, we pay... 0.5%, 0.5%, so half of 1%, on the first $50,000 of the value of our estate. So that's 250 bucks. And then we pay three times that, 1.5%, for the remaining. So if you think about a million dollar estate, it turns out to be uh, 250 bucks for the first 50,000. What fourteen thousand two hundred and fifty for the remainder for a total of fourteen thousand five hundred dollars. So roughly about one and a half percent. And so, you know, this is something though that it's kind of like that last kick at the can when you when you uh, when you die that suddenly you have to write this check to have your will probated and the assets of your will uh, dealt with. And you're a state practitioner, your um, your executor is the person who is going to be dealing with that part of the state settlement. So one of the big things that, I, that we see a lot in various client scenarios is a mistake in my, in my thinking is that, you know, I'm just going to put everything into joint ownership. And if I put it into joint ownership, I'm going to save uh, save money. I'm going to save probate tax. And that's prob- that's probably true. You will save some probate tax. But I just want to remind people where the big mistake is they think it saves them the big tax, that they're not going to have to pay income tax on this amount because it's joint ownership. And that couldn't be further from the t- truth. You're still going to have to pay tax on that money that even though it is in joint ownership, the income it's earned will be um, part, or capital gains will be part of your estate and you will pay tax on that. And I think that the the problem with joint ownership is that you have the potential where you get large amounts of money, large amounts of your estate, are actually bypassing your will because they go directly to the joint owner. And that can really create a problem for your executor, put them in a, put them in an awkward position where they're trying to equalize things based on what your will says and make distributions based on what your will says if large amounts have actually not passed through your will, but simply bypassed it because of joint ownership. And um, I was actually having a discussion with some clients this week, and, uh, and we had agreed that I was going to have sort of just a second set of eyes to have a look at their will. And uh, they said, well, we just redid it, because they just redid it uh, within the last 12 months. And they were telling me the story, and I actually asked them if I could share this on the air, because I thought it was fascinating. So. Um, uh, Several years ago, uh, the client's father had passed away, and uh, sorry, the mother and she. Anyways, the last person in the family to die, and this was a family with seven brothers and sisters, and so when the mother passed away, there was one of the one of the siblings. It was one of the sons was named as the sole executor, and so as the executor, he's reading through the will, and he discovers that. All the money is going to be left equally to the seven siblings, except one name was left off. And in fact, so the lawyer had made a a fatal error here and forgot to include one of the children's names. So this put the executor in a really awkward position. And so the, the, the solution was brilliant. What he did was he phoned up each of the other six siblings and he asked them, he said, listen, here's what's happened. I've reviewed the will, and I've discovered that there was one of us missing from the uh, beneficiary designations, and and you were the person that was missing. And I want your opinion as to what you think we should do about this. And he made six other calls to all the other siblings, and he gave the exact same story. He told them all that they were the ones that were missing from the estate, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beneficiary designations and of course what did they all say that Not is them. brilliant well i think it should they, we should all be treated fairly Mom, you know Mum clearly wanted everyone all of us to to share equally and so after it was all done and they'd all had the same answer he let them know that in fact it wasn't it wasn't them the one put the one person but i'm glad you told me how to solve this, how to solve this. <laughs> <laughs> and it all worked out beautifully but I can tell you, this adult, that's not always the case. And I'm sure, Don, you've had situations like that before, too. So having a second set of eyes to review a will is something that um, is, is important just to find a spelling mistakes sometimes, but even something as dramatic as that where someone is actually left out. And I'll give you another example. So in this situation, let's say a widower who has two children and his wishes to treat them equally as far as the estate and he has uh, $200,000 in RRSPs and $200,000 in a GIC. And so he's thinking, you know what, I, if I, I could save some tax here, I'm going to make one of my children beneficiary of the RRSP and the other is going to be the beneficiary of the GIC through his estate and so the result of that, though, is what ends up happening is that child number one gets the $200,000 from the RRSP as a direct beneficiary, but the estate has to pay the tax on that money. And so we think about the big tax, this is income tax, that's all income in the year of death, that RRSP, $200,000, let us say roughly $75,000 of tax has to be paid. So child number two, who's the beneficiary of the estate, gets the 200000 minus the $75,000 in tax and only ends up with... $125,000 instead of two hundred. Now he did save $3, 000, about $3,000 in probate tax, but uh, at the end of the day, we've now left an awkward situation where it, he ended up treating them unequally, and that was not the intention of this. So direct beneficiaries are something that people often think about as a way to avoid probate tax, and I think there's a couple of areas where that works. One is if you're in a first marriage and you're simply leaving all of your assets to your spouse, and the second would be is if you have a single beneficiary, like an only child, and you're leaving everything to them, or maybe it's um, everything going to a charity, for example. So that type of situation, I think a direct beneficiary can work. Where direct beneficiaries do not work, and we recommend you do not use direct beneficiaries for your RSPs or your RIFs, is where you have a blended families, where money is going to be going to minors under the age of 18, and they're now, that is going to have to be held in trust. If you have multiple beneficiaries, so a number of children, et cetera, like my story, or if you have um, children or beneficiaries with special needs. And so if, if you don't, the direct beneficiary can really end up creating some disputes because that m- large amounts of money can flow outside the will. And the only the one area that, other area that people think about for saving, I'll come back to is this joint ownership. Now it does save probate tax and that's the small tax, but it has no impact on saving you the big tax. I think it creates confusion in that the joint owner often thinks that that is their money. And whereas the other, other beneficiaries thinks it's shared money, right? They they think it's, it should be part of the entire estate, but often that joint owner thinks, well, maybe that was to be left to me intentionally. And then there's situations where joint ownership might not work, but could work um, particularly with spouses. You know, if there's a divorce, um, and then your spouse remarries, if you left the money, then maybe that money ends up being lost to uh, a new uh, spouse. Uh, On that side, a spousal trust might be a benefit there. And also, too, I think for uh, property, um, the misuse of property, you know, for your own benefit, when sometimes when money is given as joint ownership, that is clearly you're giving half of that value of that investment or that, that investment account to another person, and they could misuse that property for their own benefit. So we find that probate fees uh, is something that is important to consider in your estate plan. Uh, There are various scenarios where it makes sense to continue to to use things like uh, direct beneficiaries, joint ownership, but uh, for many cases, I think the big planning needs to be done around figuring out how to reduce the big tax how to reduce that income tax that's going to be paid in that final year of death. And if the probate tax can be minimized along the way but still accomplish everything else, then I think you're going to have a happy, (laughs) as much as it's going to call it a happy scenario, but you're going to keep peace within the family and all the beneficiaries will be happy. It's all part of your overall financial plan, the estate planning, probate tax, it's all important stuff. We're
1: planning. your have, a, have
2: our, a chat about it around the dinner table tonight. Yeah, that's right,
1: uh, before the Zoom call starts. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are with us from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now uh, between Zoom calls, 905-529-7165, or check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're going to take a quick break here to fill up our plates. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. So some new benefits uh, in regard to covid 19, you're going to touch on these,
3: yes, and just a sec. But just to piggyback on what Andy just said, you know, it's amazing how people will go after and try to save that little tax, the probate tax, as Andy was mentioning. And one of the biggest I find is the principal residence. You know, the the mother has lived in that house for 50 years. As my mother says, she's going to be coming out of her house feet first, and I hope she does. But uh, you know, they don't. They think, okay, well, we'll just change the deed. And we're going to, uh, you know, have it across and have it across, say, the kids. Or just if I have one son, I'm going to have it joint with the son. And what it does is, first of all, nobody knows how long they're going to live. But secondly, now, now you're splitting up that principal residence. And I've come across a couple instances where this was done 10 years ago. The person's still alive. And now they jointly own a house for the last 10 years. We all know what has happened in real estate in the last 10 years. So now, that for because the son already owns a house and the mother owns a house, they can't, the son can't have two houses as principal resident. So therefore, it's a capital gain to the son on the growth in the last 10 years, which is significant. So that's one thing, and it's not worth it. It's obviously not worth it, and particularly in a growing, uh, particularly when the real estate market has been growing so strongly in the last 10 years. Uh, secondly is... One way to save probate tax and legitimately is to get a second will for your corporation. So if you are incorporated, this is something a lot of people are missing the boat on, and they and you can have a second will, one for everything else you own and one just for your holding company, and that will not bypass the will. That, sorry, that does bypass the will, and you will not pay the one and a half percent probate tax. So that's a couple more things to keep in mind again while you're sitting around the turkey dinner tonight, and. Uh, and, and saving tax is always good, but just make sure you have a plan. And as Andy mentioned, that's that's the key. And it's not worth saving a little bit of tax and end up paying a lot more tax in the end because you you do not have a proper plan. But uh, I want to go to uh, a news story that came out in the past week. It's absolutely incredible. It wasn't long ago, Scott, that we were talking about how Canadians aren't saving. Mm. They are, in fact, we were the poorest savers in all of basically the first, world. Um, and, and really, where debt per, per person was incredibly high. And boy, has that ever changed? What, it only took a pandemic to start have people start to save some money.
1: All, all you got to do is lock people in their houses, <laughs> if we had only yeah. thunk.
3: Well, our savings rate in the first quarter of this year went to 7.6%. Now, to put that in perspective, the average for the previous five years was 3%. So that is more than double the normal savings rate. Well, I thought that was pretty good until we just got the latest statistics. The second quarter of this year, the saving rate has jumped to twenty-eight point two percent. Wow, that's incredible. Now, a Nobel Prize winner went through this, and they call it a the permanent income hypothesis. And what that means is, if people are worried about their income, they will stop. They will start to pack away money. And they'll, start, and they'll consume less. And so a lot of, and if you get, say, a bonus, a lot of people may not spend that whole bonus, and they may not incorporate the whole thing into their normal lifestyle because they may not get that bonus next year. Well, looking at right now, there's a lot of people in you know, the food and beverage industry, restaurants, where they're, they don't know if they'll have a job once the weather changes, or if the country simply says, you know what, uh, no more restaurants again. We're going back to stage one. So all it takes is a rule change, and next thing, their income's cut. So what people are doing is packing away money, and they're putting it into savings accounts, and there is right now a whopping $127 billion that has been plowed into savings and checking accounts this year. So there's a lot of money being put there. Secondly, the CERB money that people have been getting for the last while, that may be coming to an end for some of them, And they're not sure if they're going to, you know, continue having it or not, or if they qualify for it. So therefore, what's been happening is they've been saving that money too. And that money, you know, is sitting in the bank accounts, maybe to drag out so they can have a, you know, a decent existence. And thirdly, of course, as you mentioned, Scott, locking people in their house is uh, one way to save money because they're not traveling. Some people are not going to any restaurants at all. And, uh, you know, the grocery bills are going up, but not nearly as much as the restaurant bill has gone down. Mm. And that's a great recipe of saving money. So it's going to be interesting when things kind of open up down the road. We we won't have that thing, this Andy, about saying, well, I can't save money. Well, you certainly could because <laughs> you've proved it in the last quarter of how you can save money because oh, you don't go out as much anymore. So there may be a hybrid when we come back about, putting money away and saying, okay, I definitely can put money away. I just need a budget. And right now the government, or this pandemic rather, has forced a budget upon everybody. Mm-hmm. And that has allowed people to save money, which is great. Uh, now, having said that, where they can save money, one place I would recommend would be a tax-free savings account because they can put the funds into this tax-free savings account and don't, don't have it into something you know sexy such as equities or stocks or something with risk have it there just so that it can earn some interest a higher interest savings account they're paying about 0.65 percent but at least you're earning something and it's tax free the other place that you may consider is if your income is high this year but you may think it might be lower next year you may consider even putting a new into a daily interest rsp get the tax write-off for 2020 knowing that you may not have a job or a full year's job next year and you can pull it out and add it to 2021's income but again this is the kind of thing that you should be sitting down with your financial planner which is the best option where if you're going to save this money where should you put it and you really need to match the objective what's this money for and how should i invest it based on that objective so lots to think about but scott i know we uh, talked uh, earlier this week about the government's come out with some new programs
1: yeah, and I guess these are to take over for others that are, uh, are coming to an end as a, as a result of COVID.
3: That's correct. And uh, the CERB, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, is coming to a close. And, so, and you've got to remember that the wording in that emergency response. So they, they really came out with something that was, they had to come out with something quick. And they came out with CERB. And some people, you know, may not have uh, deserved it and they really should be paying that money back and they are actually there's been a lot of people saying you know what i didn't need a full month's worth i only needed two weeks worth and they've been sending money back to the government you can actually go online and just as you did for applying for this in the first place you can now actually pay the money back the same way because there is quite a penalty it it could be a five thousand dollar penalty if you if you didn't deserve it in, in an audit and apparently, I, yeah, I doubt this would happen, but up to 14 years in jail. So <laughs> it's not worth trying to fool around with that. But, of course, if you deserved it, uh, then rightfully so, you should keep it.
1: Won't a lot of this that. come out in an audit, though? Would, would, this not, or would this not come out with your normal uh, tax refund without worry of being penalized? Like, for example, uh, you'd get it clawed back as opposed to penalized for accidentally taking it?
3: Yeah, that's possible. They could say, okay, you're going to get a refund, but because we found that you were working during that time, right. you no longer require we're going to claw back your refund. That's a possibility. They may hold up your tax refund for that. Right. It, you know, it's undecided. This is something that they're, they're basically reacting as, as it's been going through this pandemic. And, I, you know, Canada did a good job in, in getting the funds to people immediately, and some people really were taking advantage of it. I, I suggest... If you, do, do not, if you didn't feel you should have received all of that, make sure you get that in before December 31st because the COVID, the SERB rather, is uh, taxable. You will get a T4 for it. And if you get it in back to them before December, it won't be part of the T4. So it's a lot easier when you're filing your income tax to, you, you can only imagine if you got a T4, say for 10,000, you really only should have got an 8,000 trying to reverse that once you've already got the T four. So I would do this sooner than later and and get this all straightened up and, and also relieve any conscience you may have of you you receive too much. But they did they did change this and so they, they came up with three programs and really a few more acronyms to be applied. One's a CRB, Canadian Response Benefit. And it's a basically It will also go for 26 weeks, uh, $500 per week, and you can still be working. In fact, you can make up to $38,000 in 2020 and over and above whatever you can collect from the CRB, Canadian Recovery Benefit. Now, they've changed it from response to recovery, so you can see the wording that they're trying to say, okay, we're going to recover from this. So... And the nice thing is you can still have an income. And, of course, if you make over 38000 you do not qualify for this. The second one is a Canadian, or sorry, a Canada Recovery Caregiver Benefit, a CRCB. And this one here is for anybody that may be looking after a family member because of COVID. And that family member could be your children or it could be an adult, could be a parent. And that also can last up to uh, 26 weeks at $500 per week. And finally, they've come out with a Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit. And that one is, again, $500 a week for up to two weeks. So if you're under quarantine and you can't work because you've been forced to quarantine, you qualify for the Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit. So kind of looking at the whole program, The, there was 9 million people that received CERB. And, you know, some of those are going to be sending that money back, but, you know, there's a lot of people that needed those funds. So, therefore, um, how do they transition? Well, that transitioned to um, EI, employment insurance. And now that's going to transition to the CRB, the Canada Recovery Benefit. And so it's... It's, again, it's there to help. It's going to start October 12th. So basically, uh, today is the 10th, so this will start Monday for those people that are still qualifying for it, and they're guessing that 890,000 people will need this program. So there's a lot of people that will be still utilizing these benefits, but obviously they don't feel it's going to be as needed as as the original CR um, served. The Canadian recovery caregiver benefit on the other hand, that actually started back on the 5th of October, so last week. And so this one here, it's really for you know children if you have to look after a child under twelve years old, and because maybe the daycares have been closed or uh, or the schools have been closed, and that, and now you, you you're unable to work because you needed to go to work, and therefore you can't because you, your child can't go to school. So therefore, you can collect this for up to twenty six weeks. And they expect seven hundred and twenty thousand Canadians to use this. I'm not quite sure, you know, how they're figuring out these numbers, how many they're going to use it, but this is the numbers they're quoting anyway. And that there can be applied to both of these can all three of these actually can be applied to up to september 21st of 2021 so the canadian um recovery caregiver benefit there are all these acronyms it's alphabet soup here so anyway and finally the the sickness benefit they expect it to be the most popular and they're like i said it's five hundred dollars per week for two weeks And this is again, is when you have to self isolate. They expect 4.9 million to apply for this benefit. 4.9 million, because of having to stay home for two weeks. And it, you know, it, it, you may actually um, have an issue. You may have to be quarantined. You may just, you may have COVID. You may not. The whole point is you have to be away from work for two weeks. But also, it does cover um, any any um, pre-existing issues, and uh, such as a uh, compromised immunity. So lots of benefits here. At the end of the day, I'm not quite sure how they're going to shake down. I do know uh, Canada will have a fairly good-sized debt over this, and uh, I think with all this, this is part of the reason why the savings rate has been so high. So I don't know about you two, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to not saving, Okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going to a Cat game in the future and uh, maybe a movie and, 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 and or show. So I think people will be quick to get back to life as, as we knew it. But there will be some changes. And I think we're going to go to a hybrid situation where maybe business travel will be put on the backside. Because obviously, the economy worked pretty good working virtually. But on the other hand... I have a feeling there's a lot of people that will want to see some vacation properties in the near future.
1: Yeah, I, I, as you said, uh, Don, I think it's going to be a combination of both because you know, just very the same way you were talking about saving and, and the amount of the, the people were saving now. Uh, you know, as soon as things open up, are they going to start spending? Uh, yeah, they probably are. Uh, and will be anxious to get back to the sort of thing, but I think people will be sort of cautiously optimistic. They won't. They won't want to jump in too deep in case something else happens. It's as you said, a new world, and that may change how we prepare for things like this.
2: Absolutely, I think that uh, you know, there's there's also a group of people, as I've been talking with various clients, that feel that's uh, you know what, it's time to spoil myself because. I've been held up in, uh, you know, not spending money. Um, who knows what the future holds? So I'm going to indulge myself now, and so it may even be the opposite. We may see people stop saving and spending a lot more just because they feel like they time is, time is limited for all of us. Right? Uh,
1: v- very similar to my son, who is recovering from a broken leg. Uh, we would always ask him to take the dog for a walk, and uh, I don't have time. Now he cannot wait to take the dog for a walk. (laughs) Same sort of thing here with your money, right? Absolutely.
3: (laughs) When you've been told you can't do things, you want it more. And now we've basically been told we can't cross the border to go to wherever the vacation spot you want to, and now everybody's chomping at the bit. And rightfully so, uh, we're all looking forward to things to come back to a new normal.
1: We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyandon.com that's andyandon.com. All right, it's uh, pretty hard not to avoid the US election. How does this affect the stocks and the world of finance?
2: Yeah, boy, it's just ramping up, isn't it? We the, uh, the intensity of all the rhetoric on on both sides uh, inevitably is uh, is is at a fevered pace. And um, I came across an article, which I thought was fascinating, just talking about the elections and trying to put it in perspective over all, all these years. And it was titled, Every Four Years, This Time It's Different. And the, that saying keeps coming out. And uh, there was a great quote by Warren Buffett. Everybody knows Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest, most successful investors in the world. He said, if you mix politics with your investment decisions, you're making a big mistake. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about Warren Buffett in a second, but... This, this particular individual wrote this um, you know it's, he has been in the industry for more than 50 years and he talks about during that time period that he's been part of 13 presidential elections, not counting this one. and every time first and foremost he has tried to sort of you know deeply sort of get into the psyche of American investors but basically says just calm down and think through this process. And, you know, I think that there's that anxiety level amongst investors and he's hearing from people like Don and I, who are saying as advisors, you know, we're hearing, and this is on the, in the U S they were hearing like an unprecedented amount of, of concern and worry that those four words again, this time it's different. And, and why they should be doing something with respect to their portfolio, and you know, there's the basic rhetoric that you hear a lot, and uh, which is, if so and so gets elected or re-elected, I'm moving to Canada. And we've even heard on the RTV recently too about the increase in in uh, inquiries with immigration lawyers, people coming to Canada as well. So that's something that's happened for decades. Everyone gets to the, gets that feeling, but. This time, I think it's really, if so-and-so gets elected, that's the end of American democracy. And that's sort of taking an extreme position on this, but it uh, people are feeling this out there. The bottom line is that, and we reinforces this, is that you just have to take your political convictions completely out of your decision-making. And that's particularly, and that's really hard for a lot of people, but that's why it's so essential. And... Um, in that same interview with, when Buffett quoted that, you know, if you mix politics with your investment decisions, you're making a big mistake. He also pointed out that for about half of his career, which has been ethically successful, the, the president has been the guy he voted against. Hmm. So it's it, even Warren Buffett can't correlate what elections are going to do with respect to his portfolio. So I think that... Um, a big mistake that investors make is that they seem that they think that the person and the policies of the presidency are importantly related or correlated to the stock market and there is zero basis for this fact and, and this conviction but at times like this the, all of the facts go out the window and there's two relatively recent examples of a nearly perfect sort of non-correlation number 1 was the subprime mortgage bubble which inflated for over several years and then burst into a global crisis during a two-term incumbency of a strongly free market republican so that was bush and then during the following two terms of a strongly progressive democrat obama the stock market went up every single year for eight years so you know the correlation between governments is is really not it's actually the opposite and um the bottom line is that no matter who gets elected or what his policies or policies are, that superior companies, great companies, will continue to thrive by acting in their shareholders' best interests. And to the extent that uh, that the president or Congress, you know wants to sort of control or shut down or punish businesses for the way they're making money, they'll simply stop doing it. And at the end of the day, They'll figure out other avenues of economic enterprise in which they can earn a return for and pay dividends to their shareholders. And it's earnings and dividends which drive stock prices in the long run. It's the ingenuity, the innovation, and the financial discipline of businesses that has made them successful in the past. So no matter who becomes president in January, and no matter what policies are implemented by the electorate, you and I, they will get... uh, They'll get another chance. And and at the end of the day, the other thing to consider is that the uh, the House of Representatives in the U.S. will be in, in November 22. So that's only in 23 months after the election. The entire House of Representatives and a third of the Senate will face voters again. So if something really goes too far in one direction, they'll get thumped and basically things will get replaced. So, you know, at the end of the day, as much as you think it's different this time, don't think that uh the self-inflicted wounds of trying to time the market where we feel this necessity to try and do something uh to prevent our loss of money is the wrong approach and uh you know at the end of the day you're going to be gambling and you're gambling to know that in that context that you know i'm just going to do it this once i'm going to try and sell and put my money into cash and never mind paying tax on the capital gains you have to pay tax on but then now trying to get back into the market when it's down in an effort to try and time the market. It doesn't work. Uh, you've got to stick to your long-term plan. And the bottom line is, is as much as it hurts, don't let politics get involved. It's, it's not different this time. Uh, your, your investment plan will continue to, to do well in all types of presidencies. And, uh, so I think, focus your area focus on other areas of your life not your investment plan at this point
1: there's another d- uh, good discussion to have over the thanksgiving zoom call <laughs> It's uh, it's another good bunless call to have. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com or you can call now and leave a message at 905 529-7165, 529-7165, that's 905-529-7165. Uh, lots of people talking, especially uh, snowbirds, what's going to happen in the wintertime. Lots are hoping to take off down south, not necessarily uh, going to be the case this year. What are the options for snowbirds?
3: Yes, and that is definitely a topic of conversation. I don't know about you, Andy, but I've, I've had many conversations with snowbirds. Uh, have you
2: yeah, I mean, people are trying to figure out what happens. Can I can I go and access my property? How long am I going to be able to stay? What about coming back? I mean, it's it really is. You know, you can't. I guess technically you could fly in, but you can't
3: drive in right now. So there's right. all kinds of issues, right? And that's exactly they're they're worried about the second wave. You know, you're seeing the numbers start to tick up. Um, it, perhaps is going to even get more dangerous. Um, you know, certainly even going to Florida, the you know their numbers are way worse than. Canada's, even though the population is is uh, quite uh, quite a bit smaller, uh, getting insurance. There has been a couple that have come aboard about getting travel insurance that will cover COVID. Um, it started off with one carrier, Safety Wing, but it, that only went to I think age sixty four. Um, another one, Manulife, just came out recently, and so they will cover COVID. And so I'm I'm sure others will come aboard.
1: Is it and, expensive uh, though? No, I had heard focus. that it I had heard that it was really expensive.
3: I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. God, I've just uh, heard, and I did hear uh, a client of mine recently, uh, he's younger, he's my age, 57, and, and he w- is going to fly down, and he's going to um, get insurance. So he did qualify. But again, because COVID affects the elderly more, and uh, certainly the, the chance of death is greater, or the chance of a, a higher degree of sickness is greater, I can understand why it would be more expensive. So really it really comes down to basically four different options. Stay the course, which means I'll just do what I've always done. You know, um, right now the travel ban is going until October 21st, but that's pretty much just been moved every single month. I can't Personally, I don't see any reason why it's not going to be moved to November 21st. There's nothing in sight right now showing that it would change. Um, as you mentioned, Andy, you can fly down, and that seems to be you know certainly an option you can jump in a plane fly down you can rent a car use an uber once you do get to the airport and you know basically once you're there sitting in your vacation home and maybe just going to the grocery store at least you got some nice climate you don't have to shovel snow and you do have a property a lot of people have their properties down there so they're paying for you know property tax upkeep everything else all summer long and then winter long and then they not you see all these bills that they have to keep paying, and yet they can't use it. So it's like, okay, well, option one may be simply, let's go. But their population in Florida, just as an example, I know there's Arizona and other sunshine um, areas. Florida's population is 21.5 million people. Canada's is 37.8 million people. They, they have 14,791 deaths. You know, we've got... 9,526 deaths. So their odds right now, their deaths per million are 689 versus ours are 252. So they're almost triple what our death rate is. So if you're going to say stay the course and I'm going to be going, certainly be aware that their risk level is far greater than what we're having here in Canada. And, And, you know, obviously masks and everything else, be as careful as you can be. What I am finding is, one spouse says, I'm going, and the other spouse says, I'm not.
2: <laughs> oh, no.
3: That could create so a whole pile of other problems. means they're not going.
2: <laughs> that's a whole other level
3: of self-isolation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Number two is, like, you know, just sell it. That's an option. You say, well, I'm not using it. Maybe this is something that's been on your mind anyway, even before this, and you're just kind of going because of habit. So far, the, the prices have held up pretty good in Florida and other states and you're still paying for this upkeep, maybe save that money, use it for a big trip. But when you do sell it, you've got to remember there's a capital gain. 50% of the profit is taxable. The IRS in the States holds back 15% of the sale price, which you do get back. And there is a 20% um, tax that the government in the U.S. charges, but that can be used against the tax you'd pay in Canada. So usually it's, a bit, it's close to a wash. So the difficult thing about selling though is you're not there to sell it so you may have a lot of personal items so you would have to hire a company to pack away items that you have there to and stage it to sell it so one other option is to upgrade or trade up at this stage and actually I kind of like this idea if you've always thought well I'd like to do some renovations what a perfect time to renovate if you're not going to be there you can have a virtual meeting with a tradesperson get those renovations done, get the lanai fixed, get the pool fixed, get those things you've been wanting to get fixed, at, rather than having to live through it. And they are talking in the States that they are pitching this in-kind exchange where you can be moved up and it doesn't trigger a gain. Well, that's not, that is true for a, Canadian, uh, sorry, a U.S. resident. It is not true for a Canadian resident. So you would still pay the capital gains by upgrading. So be careful with that. Don't just trade up thinking you're getting uh, tax-free. And finally, the last option may be simply, you know what, I'm going to rent it out this year. And that way you're kind of mitigating your expenses. You can do it two ways, uh, a short-term rental like an Airbnb, or maybe someone will just take it over for the season. Sounds great on paper, but it does lead to some other tax consequences because now the Canadians look at this as a change of use from a personal property to an income property, and you have to fill in this foreign income verification statement. And we all know that if you do have tenants, they could lead to some problems. Hmm. That's not always the case, but there is a higher chance. So bottom line is each of these options has a risk with it. Whether you stay the course, whether you sell it, whether you upgrade, or whether you rent it, what you need to do, I guess, is find what works best for you.
1: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen.
2: Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving.